All right. I think we're live. Hello, everybody. Happy. It's Wednesday. Wow. It's kind of crazy that the week seems to be moving kind of quickly. Welcome to the Boca podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz. I'm excited to have you here today. And by the way, if you are here live, if you are listening or watching live, please don't hesitate to say hello. Let us know where you're listening from. Ask questions and comments. Send us a couple of funny emojis if you'd like to, but don't hesitate to engage. Would love to have you here and not only listening in, but engaged with our guests, myself. Let's make it a conversation. For those of you that are listening after the fact, you're listening to the audio, we do stream live every single Boca Podcast episode now, actually, over at facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. So make sure that if you miss a live stream, you go back, check it out. And then if you follow us on Instagram at Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H Podcast, you'll find out when the next live stream is. We keep everybody updated there. So make sure you're following us on Instagram at Boca Podcast. Very quickly, before I introduce our guest for today, I'm I'm really excited about the topic for today too. Just want to quickly remind you all and also follow up on my promise. um, Remind you, first of all, to look for opportunities to give back, whether it's in your local community or to a national or international organization. I promised everybody that before every Boca Podcast episode, I would donate to Charity Water, in this case, is the organization that I donate to. And I did that. You can see the receipt on the screen. But I want to encourage everybody to look for those opportunities. It doesn't take a lot of money to make a big difference. Look for those opportunities and make sure you take advantage of those those opportunities to give back. Again, either to your local community or on a much larger scale, if at all possible. All right. On that note, I'm going to kind of tone down the music here just a little bit, and I want to introduce our guest for today, a brand new friend of mine, um, and we were kind of getting to know each other over technical difficulties. Julia is here, and Julia, I meant to ask you actually before we get started, but your last name, is it Bocchesi, or am I pronouncing that incorrectly? Oh, and you're on mute. Hold on one second. Let's see. It, It says that you've muted yourself. Can you unmute yourself by any chance? Can't hear you yet. Are you are you there? Hello, hello. <laughs> we ran into a few tech difficulties beforehand, and and we're trying to uh, trying to kind of flex and flow best we can. Say hello again. Can you hear me? Oh, I can now. There we go. We got okay. it. Okay. Yes. I have no idea what I did. <laughs> we're in. All right. So first of all, let's make sure we got your last name, the pronunciation correct. Did, did I? Was I close? Yeah, it's Bocchese. But it is Bocchese. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. Well, I, I don't have all that complicated a name, but I'm so used to people kind of butchering it. It's become amusing at this point. I hate yeah. to mess up anybody's <laughs> name, but I appreciate you adding the clarification there. Julia is here yeah. with us today to get into a really interesting topic. We've we've spoken briefly about the topic of SEO here and there on the podcast in past episodes. Over 500 episodes, Julie. Isn't that crazy? A lot of a lot yeah. of content. <laughs> but I will say that we haven't spent enough time on this topic because it's super important, number one. But what you're going to bring to us today, which is a, is a really a largely different perspective, which is the kind of the tie between user experience, UX is what we're going to call it, of course, and SEO, how those two things relate. And you're going to give some pointers as to how we can improve both. So I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. We're going to get to that here in just a second. And for everybody listening in, make sure that you go follow Julia. And uh, I'm, Julia, I'm going to actually pull up your Instagram profile first here. It's Julia Renee Consulting. And we'll link to this, of course, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But I'll quickly spell it out for anybody listening in or watching. Um, J-U-L-I-A-R-E-N-E-E, and then consulting. And again, we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And then your website as well. Julia Renee Consulting.com. Now, Julia, it's not very often that we have somebody whose main focus is not photography on the show. So I guess the great way to start out the conversation would be just to let you introduce yourself by means of a brand position statement. Talk to us about your business's brand position, what makes you different, what service you're offering. Yeah, I know. I feel like I kind of need to confess that I'm not a a photographer because I know (laughs) most of your guests are. Um, I have never been like a full time or even like a full side hustle photographer. Um, I, you know, have a hobby or hobby photography site. But my main focus is um, SEO and Pinterest consulting. Um, And my focus with that is not only helping websites rank well on Google, but also converting clients once they get on their sites, which is why both SEO and UX are a big uh, focus of mine. 
Yeah, and we're going to get into that in more detail here in just a little bit. I'm coming back to your website. For anybody who's listening in, this is where you miss out. If you're not streaming live with us, you, you miss out on the visual piece. You can always go back to facebook.com slash book a podcast and watch the video or the live stream, the replay of the live stream. But on the homepage of your website, by the way, props to you. And I would expect this from you being in the role that you are and the business, business that you have um, to have your position statement above the fold and, and large very legible font, SEO and Pinterest consulting for creative. So that's kind of a differentiating factor. The fact that you are targeting creative specifically. And then you say, I help creative business businesses rank higher on Google and Pinterest to reach their ideal clients so they can get their time back and focus on their passions. And I will say from even recent experience that if these are such loaded topics and I have so many other responsibilities on my plate that if I even begin to go down the rabbit hole, which is SEO and UX, I'm totally lost, distracted from a million other things that I'm also supposed to be doing. Um, the fact that we can come to a professional like yourself and, and hand that work over, is, it's, it'd be a massive relief for sure and definitely better <laughs> time spent, I think. Um, so I, I like the presentation of the, the brand position statement, but just to kind of build on that, um, one of the other questions that I tend to ask our guests has to do with customer experience. So you've got this, this brand, this business that's established to help creatives in particular um, with this element of SEO and Pinterest, which in and of itself, again, is also a massive topic. But yeah. talk to me about what you do for the sake of customer experience, because there are a lot of small business owners now. I mean, this has become so much more popular. It's a lot easier that the, the barrier to entry really to mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is shrunk massively. It's so easy now with the technology that we have to get started. So how do you create a different experience with your clients? What is a driving idea or factor that enables you to give them a good customer experience? Yeah, so two of my big focuses with my clients is on uh, transparency and education, uh, which you might not really be able to apply for, you know, many photography businesses. Um, but for SEO, I'm sure you guys have gotten those like emails asking you for backlinks or promising that you can get on the number one page of Google. I get those like daily. Um, so I really focus on transparency because I've had so many clients who have been kind of like scammed or have paid for SEO before and haven't known what they are really paying for. Um, so throughout the entire, you know, process of optimizing their sites, I, you know, check in, tell them what I'm doing. I also always start with an audit so that way they can see exactly what I'm going to be doing, but also okay. why it matters and how they can keep their site, you know, optimized going forward. So that way they're not just like paying blindly and have no idea what's going on with their website. Sure. Well, I, I think, I mean, transparency is, is a, First of all, it's a fascinating topic yet again in and of itself, mm -hmm. and in especially, especially in the last, I would say, even last three or three to five years, the, the level of accountability um, that the general public is holding brands and businesses uh, to their word and holding them mm -hmm. accountable, accountable for their behavior, the services that they're delivering. It's, it's actually, it's quite interesting. And in some cases, it's taken to an unnecessary extreme, but I think it's also good in general for the public that... There is some level of accountability and then businesses are kind of responding with the effort to transparency for the sake of the, the client experience. And I, I think it's, it's a really great thing at the end of the day. It actually does very much relate to the photography industry. I think maybe in some ways we've grown up enough at this point that some of the things that we were seeing happen in years past with the, um, I guess the, we can call them prosumers, those who are kind of making a transition in, maybe trying to make a quick buck, but don't have the experience, especially as they're going to photograph a wedding, for example, and some of their practices may be a little bit questionable. I mean, some of these things, I, I don't hear the horror stories quite as much anymore. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, but mm -hmm. transparency is important nonetheless. The other thing that you alluded to is the importance of expectations management. Um, it sounds like mm -hmm. this is something that's a really big deal for your clients as well. And I, this has been a theme as of late. We've been talking a lot about this. But I think it's really great, especially when it comes to something like SEO a creative coming in, even now, as much time as I've owned a business and had multiple websites and so forth and been around this topic of SEO, I still feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a lot. I don't know. I don't really know what I'm talking about. And so mm -hmm. to have somebody like yourself proactively manage my expectations as to, first of all, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And then you're taking me along for the ride, showing me what's getting done, how that's translating to positive results. I think that's a really positive thing. And really, it's something that any company should be doing in the process. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Well, you're setting a good standard. So um, <laughs> we'll keep the conversation moving, though. You talked about the significance of time on your website. And I mean, time management, it, it's a, it's honestly, it, it's an underrated topic, I think, in our industry. I mean, it's, it's brought up mm -hmm. more often now, which I think is positive. But a lot of photography business owners 
they're, they're stuck in front of their computer endless hours every week. Some of it is just because of poor time management. Sometimes, sometimes it's because they're spending time on things that maybe they shouldn't be, that they could delegate or outsource to somebody else. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of photographers are spending, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours. And I, I'll, I'll kind of go upwards, 50, 60, 70 hours in some cases, just working kind of nonstop. And I think unnecessarily so. A lot of times it's just about employing or implementing important time management principles to fix some of that. Curious if there's a big one for you that's enabled you to kind of juggle your personal life and business life simultaneously. Yeah, not a major one, but I've kind of just found like what time, you know, I work best. Um, so it may sound crazy for people, but I usually start working around 6 a.m. Um, because Love my, <laughs> my, um, my husband's a doctor, so he has to get up like super early. So I'm awake anyway. Um, mm. and I like working in the morning. I'm always, I've always been a morning person. So I like working in the mornings, especially no one is constantly emailing me, interrupting my day. So I'm able to get a lot of my work done in the morning and then kind of have the, you know, later afternoon off, um, and my work day early. Um, and then especially because I was finding if I was saving work for later in the day, just so I could kind of like keep it within the normal working hours quote um something that i would start on at 3 p.m would take me like two or three times longer than if i was working on it you know first thing in the morning because my brain was already dead at that point so there's no point in like trying to you know work when i'm really not at my best so sometimes you know it doesn't always work out that way but i really do try to like get the bulk of the things done in the morning well, I think it's smart and, and it's a relatively simple concept, right? It, it almost seems obvious mm-hmm. in some ways. And yet so many of us, <laughs> myself included, don't take advantage of the fact that, hey, we're our own boss. So that means we get to set our schedule, mm-hmm. at, at least for the most part. And like you said, work when we know we work best or something that, that I know I've, is important for me is being able to work in chunks of time. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, if I can give a certain amount of time to a particular task or set of tasks or a project, and then take a break from that and go do something different, either a different type of work or just take a break, go ride the motorcycle, lay out by mm-hmm. the pool. I mean, just break up my day and then I work in chunks. Um, and that kind of flexibility feels good to me, number one. It also mm-hmm. enables me to maybe come back and focus a little bit better on the next, next task at hand versus just working the straight so-called eight-hour you know, shift in a day. Mm-hmm. And I like that, that freedom and that flexibility. I get to be my own boss in that way. And I think it's a really great thing. Mm-hmm. We should all take advantage of it. And again, play on what we know is our strength. I, I tend to be more of a morning guy too. I love getting up, starting early, getting a workout in and jumping into work. I think it feels good. I know other people think and function differently and that's <laughs> fine, but playing on the, what we know works best for us. Really great point of recommendation. And, and, uh, so for those of you listening in, in fact, for those of you that are watching or listening live comment, let us know what your whether it's your how you start your day or maybe how you end your day, if you'd like to work later in the day, let us know what that sounds like. And we'll pop up some of those on the screen here as we're streaming live. Next question for you, though, Julia, talk to me about delegation or some people just use the term kind of blanket, a blanket term outsourcing. But really, it's delegation, right? We're giving a task or set of tasks to somebody else to do. And this is really important in the process of time management. Is this something you've experimented with? What does it look like for you? Very little so far. (laughs) I definitely need to get better about outsourcing. Um, There isn't much that I've outsourced on the SEO side of my business. But for Pinterest, I actually started working with a designer almost a year ago because I was finding that I enjoyed designing pins, Mm -hmm. but I would get sucked into it and like spend way too much time on it and like trying to find the like the perfect size of the font and you know just yep. tweaking it so <laughs> yeah. i was like this is this is taking way too much time so i have outsourced uh, most of the pin designs to a designer who loves doing it and mm. is much faster at it mm-hmm. than i am <laughs> i feel you i very much i love playing with design as well i know i'm not a designer mm-hmm. i wouldn't even ever come close to claiming to be one but it's fun to play with that stuff and then you mm-hmm. like you said an hour two three hours later you're like oh my word i just spent all this time <laughs> and this thing only yeah. halfway looks decent I should go to a professional, which, I mean, it brings us back around the significance one of delegation, especially as it relates to SEO again, and, and Pinterest and so forth. But, um, just in general, this, the importance of playing to our own strengths and then hiring somebody else to help supplement our efforts with what they are really good at best of both worlds, I think. Um, and it's really helpful when it comes to time management too. So yes, (laughs) yeah, that's another good recommendation. Okay. So I'm going to jump to one more question before we get to the main topic Mm -hmm. at hand, because this is a a really exciting topic to me. I've been kind of deep in it with our brands as of late. Um, and so I'm excited to dig into it a little bit more with you and understand more, but 
talk to me about a favorite book, a business book, self-help book that you've read in the last few years. It's made a big impact in your life. Yeah. So I really like the book um, Company of One by, I think it's Paul Jarvis, um, because especially in like the kind of online business world, um, there's a big push to like create your own agency and like, you know, outsource all of your work and like have tons of employees. And I've never wanted to do that. Uh, yep, that's it. <laughs> um, so reading this book kind of really justified that I don't have to do that. Um, and I can really create a sustainable business with, you know, just myself and maybe outsourcing some of the, the tasks that I have. Okay. And yeah. And, and for anybody who's listening to just the audio, Julio said, yeah, that's it. I actually have it pulled up on screen here on Amazon. <laughs> Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. Okay. So I, now you got me kind of curious because I'm in the middle right now of a, actually some pretty big changes at, at my companies. We have multiple brands, a lot to juggle, and I'm trying to do a better job of delegating and growing our team. You're talking about the importance of, of in this case, staying small. So what's been one of the biggest takeaways from that book that has been super compelling? Yeah. So in the book, he also talks about how you can kind of use these, um, you know, what he's writing about with, if you have a small team, it's not really written for books who have like, or for companies that have like 50 employees. But you know, if you have a small team, you can still kind of use what he says in the book to help okay. grow your business. Yeah. Um, but specifically for me, it was, you know, helpful just kind of seeing how other people have been able to run their own business just themselves or with, you know, maybe like some contractors or something like that. So I don't have to feel like I have to have an agency um, and like, you know, give away the work that I actually really do enjoy doing. Hmm, okay. So you're saying you're a loner, Julia. You'd like to just work yes. on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm huge just in- with you. introvert. Yep. All right. Okay. Enneagram five, INTP, like I All am, the things. I like to do my work. Yep. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we'll make sure to link to this book in the show notes. It's not actually been recommended before, but um, oh. so we'll have to add it to the list here. Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business by Paul Jarvis. And honestly, I'm still curious. I'd be curious to kind of dig into... Um, the principles in that book. And it, it, I'm trying to think of the, this is going to be really bad for, for broadcast, but I'm trying to think of the book that kind of plays along these same lines. Uh, it, we won't, I won't take the time to scroll <laughs> through my Kindle right now, but there's, there's a, Oh, I can't think of the book. I'm going to have to find it now. So there's actually a, a book that deals with um, the importance of working lean. Um, and I know there's a book called a lean startup, and now, I'm, yeah, I'm going to totally, I'm going to be really, really bad broadcaster here and <laughs> scroll real back or really quickly back through my Kindle uh, app and just look at this really quickly because I have to make Rework is the name of the, the book. Have you ever heard of the word, oh, yeah. or the uh, book I Rework? I have heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then we'll pull this up on Amazon actually for everybody that's listening in. And let's see, Rework. Cool. I had to at least share this. Um, yeah, <laughs> terrible of me not to be able to actually remember it offhand. But yeah, Jason Freed, this is a this is a beautiful book. Honestly, I mean, it it really kind of focuses in on. I would say that the principle of simplicity, applying the principle of simplicity and and a lean workflow for the sake of a not only a strong business but an efficient business. Rework by Jason Freed, and it's a really good one. So we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. All right. I'm going to try to be a better broadcaster now. We're going to come <laughs> back to the main topic at hand, um, Julia, and we're going to talk about UX and SEO. And I, I will say that, I mean, especially in the photography space, and I kind of harp on this a little bit during in our podcast, honestly, because I, I see a lot of focus and I'm, I'm sure I've been, in fact, I know I've been guilty of this, even with the the website for our editing company. The focus becomes for the sake of the website, being pretty, looking pretty, being visually appealing, right? We're, as photographers, naturally, we're pretty visually driven. And so we're trying to post pretty pictures up there on the website and make it look really, really nice, especially for our photographer friends. You're going to come look at the website and probably give us some feedback. Uh, But the reality is that pretty pictures only go so far and that way more attention needs to be paid to both UX, user experience, and SEO. So Let's actually start first with the definition of UX. And uh, I mean, user experience, obviously, we've been talking about that now multiple times. But can you break that down, what that actually means for our listeners a little bit more? Yeah, so UX can be applied to pretty much anything, but it's just how users interact with either a product, 
Um, so like even your phone in your hand, you know, that's gone through a lot of UX testing with how people are able to like find what they're looking for, how easy it is to press buttons, things like that. And then for a website specifically, it's more about how people are able to navigate your website, what they're doing on your website once they get there, um, how long they're staying, what types of pages they're visiting and that kind of thing. Okay, so when I when I think about user experience and examples of like good and bad user experience, I think about have, <laughs> have you ever used um, Final Cut Pro, the video editing software? I think I tried like five years ago. Yeah, did not okay. get very far. <laughs> I know you're on you're on Windows. It's a Mac based software. Premiere, Adobe mm-hmm. Premiere, kind of is like the go to. I think for a lot, if not most, video editing or video professionals or anybody who's editing video. Period. And I I, I get so frustrated going to premiere because it looks like something that was designed like in 1995 for windows mm-hmm. uh, like that like the old windows it was so bad and and then i go to final cut on on my mac and and the user interface is is so much more it's first of all it's just clean but it's so much more intuitive and you have all this drag and drop inter- interaction with the yeah. software which is also again intuitive it's so much more user friendly so when we're talking about user <laughs> experience is that the kind of thing we're talking about yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How user friendly something is if you have a negative user experience or a positive user experience, that kind of thing. Okay. And then I guess maybe even a little bit more, and, and I'm going to ask you in here in just a second about kind of practical ways that photographers can actually audit their website, the UX and their website. But mm-hmm. when, when we're thinking about somebody interacting or engaging with our website as photographers, how easy it is to find information I guess maybe it might, mm-hmm. might be one of the things that comes to mind, how easy it is to find navigation for the sake of next steps. Like, okay, you just gave me this information. What do I do next? Um, are those UX related, user experience related? Yeah. So for websites, how people are able to navigate, how they're able to find things on your website. I also think website copy has a lot to play. So you mentioned on my website that I kind of like um, above the fold kind of explain who Mm -hmm. I am and what I do. And that is very intentional um, because I want people immediately to know who I am, what services I offer as soon as they um, land on my website. I see a lot of times people have very like generic information or just not very clear, uh, which leaves people very confused. And they're more likely you know, to leave the, your website if they're not quite sure what you do right. or if you're able to help them. I mentioned this at least once or twice in the podcast already, and, and I, I wish I could reference the quote. I don't remember where I heard it, but something that I heard was kind of interesting to me. Um, the, the statement was basically clients get frustrated when one they're they're lied to which would be expected right and hopefully we're not lying yeah. to our clients but then the other the other point of frustration is confusion if we leave them mm-hmm. in a place where they're confused they don't know what to do like you were just saying then we have a we, we may not have a client anymore that potential client is no longer a potential client because they're just like they give up and they're like i don't i don't know what to make of this this is confusing it's too much copy i have to get a calculator out to figure out how much this thing is going to cost you know whatever the, the list goes mm-hmm. on but if that's where we leave them they may, may leave us. They may walk away and, and give up. Um, so I think that's really important for photographers to know. Because by the way, it, Juliet, I, I've done a, a number of brand position consultations for photographers. And I've obviously over the years spent a lot of time on other photographers' websites. And I have to say, a lot of photographers don't really think about this. And you go to their website and everything's just kind of almost dumped onto the page. Um, mm-hmm. Pictures kind of randomly there. And then you know so much text in some cases that my mm-hmm. eyes just kind of glaze over and I don't know which end is up and I'm trying to even find information amongst the paragraphs of text about how they love to watch Netflix and drink coffee. Like it just doesn't, it's not, it's not helping me as a potential client, right? I don't know oh, what yeah. to do. I, I don't know what your service is, what your specialty is. I don't know what to do next. If I want to book you for that service, that's really seems like what's most important. And I'm oversimplifying mm-hmm. on purpose here, but we need to gear our websites for those purposes. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about kind of digging into what that looks like a little bit more practically with you. So to that end, um, I know that you, you're saying that there's a way that photographer ways that photographers can audit their own user experience on their, their website. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the first place you need to start is with Google Analytics. Um, if you don't currently have Google Analytics set up, like please do that today. <laughs> it's not going to start tracking any uh, previous data. It's just going to start tracking it from the moment you set it up. Um, also, Google Search Console should be set up, but I won't really get into that um, much with user experience. But in Google Analytics, um, you can see kind of like on the overview page, um, the average session duration, um, the number of pages that people are visiting, and the bounce rate. So these are 
three very important metrics for user experience. Um, average session duration is kind of you know self-explanatory, how long people are staying on your site on average. Um, you definitely wanna be over the minute mark. Um, if you're over like the two, three minute mark, that's really good. That means that people are very engaged with your site. They're really interested in like, you know, cool. visiting more pages, reading about you, checking out your photos, that kind of thing. Um, so if you're def if you're under a minute, um, you definitely want to make sure that you're kind of, um, you know, optimizing your site to keep people on there longer, checking your site speed to make sure, you know, it's not super slow and people are just, you know, leaving after 10 seconds. Um, the bounce rate is also very important. Um, it essentially means like, the percentage of people that quote bounce off of your site. Yeah. Um, so the lower the bounce rate, the better, um, which I always have to think about that. So you definitely want to keep it under, under 60% is really good. Um, average is typically, you know, 60 to 75%. If you're getting like 80, 90% bounce rate, that means that most people are going onto one page and then immediately leaving your site, which is not very good. Um, so you want to have a lower bounce rate. Okay. And then also the number of pages per session is important because that's how many pages, you know, people are visiting. So if the average session duration, you know, maybe it's three minutes, but they're just spending that three minutes on one page and then leaving your site, that's not really going to help them, you know, check out your portfolio or your services packages, your contact page, that kind of thing. Okay. So there's, I, I'm, I, again, I'm so excited <laughs> for this topic. I'm nerding out because this is something we've yeah. been digging into quite a bit as of late. And, um, and it's really fascinating, actually, for a number of reasons, one of which is that sometimes the, the things that are causing problems as it relates to user experience and SEO aren't even that complicated to fix. And the moment mm -hmm. light is kind of shown on those issues, it's like, oh, wow, and then you can go fix it. And immediately the, the scores go way up. I mean, we, we saw this, actually, um, in just in the last few months. We made some massive changes, actually, on the Photographer's mm -hmm. Edit and Book of Podcast websites. And the, the immediately, the scores that we were getting back for the sake of um, SEO specifically, uh, but certainly it would also translate to user experience, especially with uh, load times on the page speeds. And we're going to get mm -hmm. to that in just a little bit. It was, it was massive. So it's fun to dig mm -hmm. into this stuff. It's a little nerdy and it's data-driven. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of photographers, creatives, myself included, certainly in the past, aren't, don't naturally like, lean into this type of thing. But once you realize the amount of control that it gives you and improving and increasing ultimately, not only the traffic to your site, but the quality of traffic to your site and then the experience mm -hmm. that they have. And as a result, the conversion rate, um, it's, it's actually really cool stuff to, to kind of dig mm -hmm. into. But I want to bring it back. You were talking about bounce rate, 60 to 75%. In my mind, that seems really high. And, and it kind of naturally begs the question, if people are bouncing so quick, are, are, number one, are, am I bringing the right people in? Uh, mm -hmm. and I know these are all loaded topics, but I'm bringing the right people. And then number two, what's that experience that I'm providing that they're leaving? So many of them are just leaving. Uh, it, mm -hmm. can you dig into that just a little bit with us? Yeah. So this is where there's a lot of crossover with SEO and user experience, because you want to make sure that you're bringing the right people to your site. Okay. So with SEO, you want to make sure that you're targeting the right types of keywords. Um, so instead of just wedding photographer, maybe like the style of, you know, wedding photography that you have, or your location or things like that, um, that can really, you know, impact that for um, once they're on your site, you want to make sure that your site isn't slow, which mm -hmm. is really hard for photography sites, I know. Um, but you do want to make sure that your photos are sized, you know, down pretty small, um, and compressed. So that way they're not taking up a ton of space on your website. Um, and also running your site through site speed testers to see, you know, if there's anything else, um, slowing down your site. So page speed insights and GT metrics Huge. are both free sites. Yep. Yeah, and they have so much information. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I was just working with someone who her photos actually weren't slowing down her site, but she had, um, like at the bottom in a footer, it was, you know, if you wanted to contact her, you could press this button and a contact form would pop up on that same page that was giving her score, like her site, a score of an F <laughs> yep. um, fixing that one thing yep. brought it to an A. Mm -hmm. um, so even just those small tweaks can like make a huge impact. So instead of like having a contact form form pop up on her site, it now goes to her contact page where the you know contact form lives. Um, so 
trying to figure out what is slowing down your site and fixing that can really, you know, help keep people on your site longer. Um, because people are not going to wait 10 seconds for a site to load. I think right now people are waiting like three to four seconds right. and then leaving the site. Um, so if you want them to stay on your site and you want them to visit more than one page, you definitely need to work on the site speed. Okay. Okay. I like, I need to come pause and just come <laughs> back to the statement that you just made. And I hope that our listeners you know, are, are really, truly hearing this. I know it's funny. Podcasts are one of those things. It's much, I think, practical information as we share here in the book of podcasts. I also know that a lot of photographers are like, they're currently doing their own editing, shame on them, but they're doing their own <laughs> editing uh, or, you know, they're, they're doing some other work and they just got this playing in the background. They're not completely paying attention. So whatever you're doing, stop right now and listen to what Julia just said, which is that within three to four seconds, if you haven't made an impact on this potential client, you may be screwed. <laughs> they they may mm -hmm. be leaving. Um, and this is important, again, for the ongoing discussion on the podcast that we've been having, which is the amount of text. Uh, well, that's part of it, the amount of text, but then ultimately the significance of, as you were pointing out, Julia, having that brand position statement at the top of the page. And let me actually jump back to your, your site here. I know we're kind of jumping all around, but this is, this is good <laughs> stuff. Top of your above the fold and the top of your homepage position statement, and then you build on that with some subtext, and then by the way, a call to action. And I'm sure you're going to build on. Mm -hmm. I will talk about this in a little bit, but they oh, yeah. immediately know <laughs> who you are, what you do, why you're different, and what to do next. And and mm -hmm. for anybody listening in, if you if your site is not designed in that way. You need to immediately make that change and you need to hire Julia to help you design it well. <laughs> so anyway, I'm yeah. giving you an extra plug there, Julia. Um, but okay, so page speed insights, and I know we're going to talk about specifically how it relates to SEO in just a little bit, but I want to pause here for a second too. Page speed insight, Google page speed insights for anybody listening and watching, jot it down or go look it up now. This is a really interesting um, point of, uh, I guess, well, ultimately it was slowing down our efforts at Play, uh, ranking on Google, our SEO efforts. Mm -hmm. And certainly when you talk about user experience, if somebody comes to the site and, and they're, they, they want to go look at the, the, pay, the, the information, certainly the pictures, but also get the information from that site. And it's taking a long time for, you know, pictures are kind of slowly popping up uh, or maybe mm -hmm. the, the, the uh, page is not scrolling because things are loading. This is potentially a problem. What I will say is that we made a massive change, a number of changes, actually. You, you, put, you pointed out the little pop-up that was slowing this person's website down. Mm -hmm. Whether it's plugins like that or software that's being utilized. Um, previously, we had a plugin on our site that was tied to WordPress that was just eating up all kinds of bandwidth, and it, was, it, it just functioned slowly. That was actually a big part to do with it. Part of it was there was some image load times that were that were kind of to blame. But then there was software that was being utilized that was a plugin for WordPress. And you think, oh man, this is pretty, it looks great and it's pretty user-friendly. But what we didn't realize is it was slowing the site down. Mm -hmm. We went from uh, a score of something like 60 for the desktop site to, I think at the highest point, it was at 90. The scores keep fluctuating, of course, but mm -hmm. we, we hit about a 90. And this was just making some significant changes to site structure, going to much more streamlined software plugin for WordPress. And just like that, it, the, the page speed increased dramatically. And it was so cool like to see these scores just kind of pop off the chart, you know? Um, but it wasn't even, it wasn't even necessarily that difficult to make these changes. And then what that's going to translate to not just now, but into the future, especially as it relates to SEO is significant. So I'm going to start, I'm going to stop with the monologue. Sorry, but I, I just get excited <laughs> about this because we just experienced this whole thing oh, and yeah. I'm excited about the, the results that it's going to bring us as a result. I don't think a lot of photographers realize the significance of speed, not just for the sake of user experience, but for SEO. And I know we're going to come back mm -hmm. to that in just a second. Um, okay. So I, but I need to let you talk. So I'm, <laughs> I've got more questions for you. We talked about Google Analytics as a tool um, for photographers to analyze UX. Any other specific tools as it relates to UX that they should be using? Google Analytics is definitely where you should start. And then, I mean, PageSpeed Insights and GT Metrics. Um, you can use a tool called Hotjar. I don't recommend having it on your site for more than like a few weeks or like a month because it can actually slow down your site a lot. I'm sure. Um, but it can be a good way just to see how other people 
are interacting with your website, you'll get kind of like the heat map to see where they're clicking. So if you want to make sure that they're clicking on the right, you know, calls to action, that everything is very clear and obvious, or if you want to make sure they're clicking um, on different pages in your navigation, things like that. Um, so it's really helpful to see how, you know, people are navigating your site. Um, all you have to do is kind of like, you know, install something on your website and then you'll mm -hmm. get like these, you know, videos and heat maps to see what people are doing. Yeah, it's fascinating. Although I have to say, especially now with all the obsession over privacy, understandable obsession to a point, but mm -hmm. with privacy, I'm kind of surprised that, that companies like Hotjar can exist with like <laughs> the tracking that they do. Because it's kind of amazing. They they also record video, right? Video interactions with the website? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, so and of course... See, like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you can just see exactly what one person is doing when they're on your website. You'll get like a video of what they do. Right. And, and of course, we don't know who that person is. We just get to see the right. interaction. Mm -hmm. um, but that just kind of fascinates me that, that that's still an option in this day and age. It's fascinating, though, to be able to actually see somebody do this. We, I, we played with a similar tool a number of years ago. Um, and it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of fascinating. You're, you're kind of, mm -hmm. you're kind of like getting to peek over their shoulder and see how it is that they're interacting with your site. The heat maps, of course, enable you to see who is clicking where and how much, where people tend to go versus any of the other calls to action or links on the site. It's kind of interesting. Um, okay. So, uh, we, we talked about analytics, uh, talked about Google search console, and we'll probably come back to that page speed insights. Any other tools specifically as it relates, and Hotjar, of course, any other tools as it relates mm -hmm. to UX specifically? Um, those are the main ones that I okay. recommend starting with. Um, I know with like UX, people can really get caught into the weeds. So I don't want you to like sit there and spend 30 hours analyzing how everyone is like navigating your site. Um, but just starting with those basics can make like some big impacts. Okay. That's, I mean, that's that that you just shared now. I think our listeners have enough homework to spend like yeah. a, a week or more just <laughs> digging into that stuff. Uh, but seriously, take advantage. I can't recommend it enough for everybody listening and watching. Make sure that you take advantage of these tools. First of all, they don't mm -hmm. cost anything. I think Hotjar may be a little bit of money. All the other yeah. tools are free, I believe, all the Google mm -hmm. tools. And the information you can gain from them, really incredible. I know that Google Analytics specifically are, is continuing to improve their, speaking of UX, their UX, their user interface, and trying to kind of simplify it, clean it up a little mm -hmm. bit, make it a little bit easier for people to consume the information. Because even just like a year or two ago, you went in there and it was just like data thrown at you. And if you're not used <laughs> to processing data, it'd be a little bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely take advantage. We'll link to all these tools, of course, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Lots of information uh, for those of you listening in and watching make sure you take advantage of the show notes. We'll have all the talking points and the resources, the links there. Okay, Julia, I, I need to slow down. I'm, I, I had too much caffeine, <laughs> I think, before I started, and then I'm just excited about this topic, yeah. so I don't mean to talk over you. Talk to me about, um, let's come back, actually, to SEO, and more specifically, SEO as it relates to page speed. And we're going to kind of tie these, these concepts of UX and SEO together gradually, but we talked about the significance of page speed or the loading times of pages as it relates to the user experience. Nobody wants to sit around and wait. Everybody is moving quickly. Mm -hmm. They immediately need information now. But then how I didn't realize until the last couple of months, the significance of page speed load times as it related to SEO. I'm, you know, SEO, you just kind of not naturally think keywords, right? Mm -hmm. How is it that page speed is related to search engine optimization? Yeah, so UX and SEO go hand in hand, especially with um, PageSpeed, because Google is focusing, <clears throat> sorry, more on user experience now, because they want to be ranking the best websites like at the top. If they're seeing mm -hmm. that the top websites, people are just sitting on them for two seconds and then leaving, that's going to directly impact the rankings. Grab some water. <laughs> sorry, need some no, water. Yeah. yeah, get some water. Take care of yourself. <laughs> <sighs> I like to talk a lot and then my, my throat gets real dry. <laughs> so, um, and Google also has real people looking at websites. Um, so if these people are saying that it takes 10 seconds for one image to load, then they can like, you know, report that to Google and Google's going to start, you know, um, decreasing your rankings. So Google's going to see all of this information, not only of how other people are interacting with your website, but also how like, you know, the little Google bots are interacting and their own like, you know, employees are interacting with the websites. Interesting. I don't think I realized that they had individuals that were also scanning. You always think about, I, I don't know, I think about Google as like this kind of megalodon of, of a robot, mm -hmm. right? All these, all these algorithms just kind of working through 
the web, the internet as we know it. Mm -hmm. And that, but I didn't think about individuals doing that. That's kind of interesting. But what you're talking about when it comes to page speed and how that relates to SEO is if, if the user experience is poor, or excuse me, if the user experience is good, then that site is naturally going to be pushed up in the Google algorithm. Google is going to rank it higher. If the user experience mm -hmm. is poor, i.e., for example, the page loads very slowly, then it's naturally going to push it down. So this actually translates directly to SEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I will say if the page speed is good, there does need to be a lot of other things that are good on the website to help <laughs> the rankings. Right. But if the, the page speed is really slow, then that will, you know, directly impact the rankings. Okay. All right. This is good to know. I, all of these things, like we could probably talk, like just park and dig into it for another hour <laughs> or two. They're all very loaded topics. But of course, that's the benefit of, of being able to work with you. And um, we'll, of course, make sure to share your information again after we get done here so that everybody can, everybody, you're just going to have gobs of messages. <laughs> Everybody's going to reach oh, out yeah. <laughs> with all the questions and the need for help. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about testing site speed. I, I know that we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier um, page speed insights. What was the other, you said GT metrics? GT metrics. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's, what's the difference between those two sites? And I'm going to pull up GT metrics here. Yeah. So I like testing in both just because they kind of um, will show you the information in different ways. Um, I really like page speed insights because it um, has both the desktop and the mobile speeds. So mobile is also very important right now. Um, and then GT metrics will give you more of like a letter score and also tell you the exact time that it takes something to load. Um, whereas page speed insights, it kind of gives you a score. It doesn't really give you like a, a time that it takes something to load. Um, so they both kind of just break down the information in different ways. So I think it's helpful to see both of them. Um, or if, you know, you prefer one website over another because of the way that it shows the information, you know, it's kind of, it's good to see how both work um, and see which one your preference is. Okay. And you mentioned the different mobile and desktop sites, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, this is something that I've noticed on, on PageSpeed Insights. And I'm curious, when, when you see a different score between desktop and mobile, like the, the mobiles or the uh, desktop site, for example, can, can load, can have a really high score and then the mobile falls off pretty significantly. Mm -hmm. Why is there a difference between those two scores on Google PageSpeed Insights? Um, typically it's because of, you know, how the phones are structured. So like if you have a really big image on your website, your phone, you know, is going to try to process that entire image, but only show you like a small, you know, snippet that, you know, just takes up the width of your phone, basically. So if you have massive images, um, they probably will slow down your desktop speed. Um, but even, even if they're not having a huge impact on your desktop speed, they're likely going to really impact your mobile speed. Videos also really slow down mobile speed mm. um, and may not have such a big, you know, effect on desktop speed. Okay. Uh, I did a quick um, test of the GT metrics. We got a B for photographers edit right now, mm -hmm. a 90%. So it looks like we've got, we have some more homework to do, but Hey, it's in the green. <laughs> that makes me feel better. If, they, yeah. if I saw like red flashing at me, um, <laughs> I, I'd feel really bad. I just have to shut the, the, the conversation down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm certainly going to bookmark the site um, for reference for later. And mm -hmm. again, for everybody listening in GT metrics, by the way, if you're just listening to the audio GT just the letters GT and then metrics, M-E-T-R-I-X dot com. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. You know, it's funny too, this, this thing about scores, Jill, who heads up our digital marketing, and she and I have been learning together, honestly, this process um, of SEO and, and of course the different moving parts or pieces associated with it. And one of the things that we've noticed is that scores can fluctuate. Like you can, mm -hmm. one day it's like up and it look, you're like, oh my word, this looks really great. And then 30 minutes later, you run it again and something tweaked or changed and now the score is different. Why is it that those scores fluctuate so much? Is it just the different platforms and the way they're searching or do you know? Also, the browser cache can have a big impact. Um, so uh, I was working with someone who's like doing a lot of DIY work and she'd made a ton of changes, but her site score hadn't changed at all. She cleared her browser cache and then her score immediately changed and was a lot better. So just trying to clear your browser cache can also have a big impact. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I would think that, hmm, interesting. So the, the browser cache, I mean, from a user standpoint, that should theoretically make the site load faster, but somehow it's inhibiting whatever platform is testing the site? 
Yeah, because it can like store up a lot of things. Um, so especially like if you a site that has a lot of images or something like that, then the cache is storing up, you know, all of the images as images that have been on there. So even if you like, you know, have removed them or compressed them or something like that, um, it's still maybe storing the like larger uncompressed uh, versions of those photos. Huh. Okay. Man, so much to learn. All right. Let's, <laughs> but speaking of, we have more to dig into. So I, I want to talk about, I mean, a lot of this information may be overwhelming to some of our listeners, a lot of our listeners even, because it does, it's, it gets super technical. And it to does. think about <laughs> taking it all on, obviously, is overwhelming. Again, I'm going to recommend, and by the way, Julia is not asking me to do this. I'm going to recommend you go see Julia. She obviously knows what she's <laughs> talking about and can help you. Um, but that being said, Julia, let's talk about some kind of practical next actions for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's do this first with, UX, user experience. What are three, we'll just take three practical next actions that our listeners can take today, Mm -hmm. this week, um, in order to make some improvements to the user experience on their website? Yeah, so I'll make these like very easy, no serious techie things. Um, The first thing I recommend doing is to check your navigation and see what everything has been named. Um, I see this a lot with like creative websites and photographers. everyone tries to get kind of like cutesy in their navigation to try to stand out and like have something different, but people are kind of trained to look for like about services, packages, pricing, contact, like the very basic words. So um, for some reason I see a lot of people name their blog, something creative. So like uh, my thoughts or like, um, behind the videographer (laughs) or something like that. I'm laughing because I've I've been guilty of this too. So that's funny. Okay. So just name, just name it blog, just name it about contact, um, pricing. For some reason, I see a lot of websites try to like hide their pricing behind, you know, another page or name it something weird. Just name it pricing. People are looking for these words. Mm. If they're not going to find what they're looking for, then, you know, they're likely going to leave or just get frustrated that they can't find what they're looking for. Mm. And, and I, I bet in this process, by the way, I'm, you, you may see me looking down. I've got my notebook here. I'm taking notes. But when we talk about checking navigation and, and certainly the naming scheme of the, the navigational links there on the site, it might even be really interesting outside of whatever tools we can plug in and use to even just like ask a family member or a friend. Mm-hmm. Like I can think about asking uh, maybe a family member who is not necessarily super tech savvy to come and sit <laughs> down and navigate that site. Because I'm always trying to think kind of lowest common denominator. And I don't mean that in a, in a mean way, but like just if, if a, you know, if eight-year-old was to sit down at my website, could they get around? If an eight-year-old just pick up an app that I'm designing or developing, could they easily get around that app and make sense of it? Because I know if they can, and you know, eight-year-olds are just kind of arbitrary number, but just if somebody who I wouldn't expect um, would be able to to get through my website or through my app. If they can do it because it's so simple, it's so user-friendly, then naturally my potential clients should be able to do the same thing. Have you encouraged any of your clients to do that? Have you done that yourself? Oh, yeah. So um, I actually have an SEO UX course that I do. Um, so one of the activities that I have for um, the people who sign up for the course is to have um, a goal in mind and tell someone okay. you know, to look for some specific information, some pricing you know, a a specific package or something like that, and then tell someone to look for that. And then if it takes them a really long time, or if they're just like, you know, clicking around a million pages and like, can't find it immediately, um, then it's clear that that information is not very easy, easily found by, you know, probably the average person. I love it. Okay, this is good. Mm -hmm. All right. So we started with number one, number one, practical next action, Mm -hmm. check navigation. And of course, we talked about different ways we can do that and specifically naming, keeping it straightforward, really, really simple. Mm -hmm. Um, Take me to the second point. What's the next action? So we mentioned this very briefly before, but calls to actions. um, So CTAs, making sure that you have them throughout your website on every single page. Um, If this sounds excessive, not every person is going to go to every single one of your pages. So no matter which page they land on, you need to make sure that you have some way of guiding them to your your services page, your portfolio, your contact page, um, wherever you want them to go, where they would get the most information and know that they want to work with you. Um, That's what your calls to action need to have. Um, Also at the ends of your blog posts, I see this overlooked all the time, but if you have an amazing blog post and then you don't tell them where to go next, um, then they're just likely going to leave your site. Um, I actually did an audit for a website probably almost a year ago now. Their average session duration for one blog post was over eight minutes long. And the bounce rate for that was 95%, which is like 
crazy. They had these super engaged audience and 95% of them left the blog post after reading it. They didn't go to anywhere else on the website. Yeah. So (laughs) you need to be capitalizing on the engagement and like leading people to find out more information about your services or to contact you if they want to work with you and make sure it's very clear eye-catching buttons. Um, Mm. I see a lot of times people just kind of like hyperlink click here for more information or something like that. That's, that's not going to catch anyone's eye. Okay. So make sure that you're actually using buttons too. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. I I don't, again, I feel like such a rookie, even though I've been in business for two decades (laughs) or whatever now, but I think about some of the mistakes that I've made uh, or that my brand, my companies have made over the years, as far as navigation and websites, this is certainly one of them. I don't think we were using calls to action enough. We've certainly improved Mm -hmm. that now, but uh, having clear calls to action, making them readily available under you know sections of the site. I, I th- this is, I mean, it seems again, it might seem obvious to somebody listening in, but then I'm I'm curious if that person goes to their website and they have their mom come and sit down and try to navigate the site, and she's like, "What do I do next?" Um, <laughs> yeah. Then then you know you need to make sure that you have a clear call to action and it's visibly available there for them to be able to to use. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so check navigation, make sure that there are clear calls to action readily available throughout the site. And I like the point that you made too, that not everybody's going to make it to every single page. So the calls to action have to be everywhere so that they Mm -hmm. can take that next step. That's really good. All right. What's number three. So kind of like piggybacking off of the blog posts, um, but check your blog posts and make sure that you have them structured, visually appealing and easy to read. A lot of times I'll see with photographers, they'll have like all of their text at the bottom and all of the photos underneath. Um, but that can actually make it a lot harder for you know people who want to look at the photos. They have to wait for each individual photo to load. And mm-hmm. then they might just read the text at the top and then leave without even looking at the photos. So wow. having kind of like the photos um, you know interspersed with the text of the blog post can help you know the photos load on their own rather than having you know all 20 have to load at the same time. And that way people will stay engaged and be reading the text in between you know the the chunks of photos that you have. Okay, that's good. Yeah, almost like like dropping breadcrumbs just to kind of guide them along. Mm-hmm. Like here's a pretty picture, some text. And here's another pretty picture and some text mm-hmm. and keep them moving through it and staying on. If you talk about somebody spending eight minutes on a, on a site right now, that seems like eons, like just a super yeah. <laughs> long time. And I want to know who that person is and read their content because I want some of that in my, in my life. But um, that's, that's really impressive. But if we if we just have the pictures at the top and the text or vice versa, then we're obviously minimizing the user experience and, mm-hmm. and as a result, potentially losing them more quickly. So, okay, mm-hmm. that's good to know. By the way, with blog posts, I understand the idea of naming blog, blog, just because it's what everybody is used to. But um, I, I think about, for example, using our, rather than just writing content for the sake of having content on our site and having a so-called blog, if mm-hmm. I were to name it resources, for example, which is something that we've kind of experimented with, um, what, what, is that not still intuitive enough or are people looking for the blog just because they're used to seeing a blog? Yeah. So you can definitely test these things out. Um, see if you, you know, name it something differently. Um, if you get fewer clicks on it, which you can see in Google analytics, or right. if you have hot jar, you can see that. Yeah. Um, I would say for me specifically for resources, I think that you're linking out to other resources. So like, you know, you're recommending like other um, people in the wedding industry, something like that. Um, maybe something like articles would be more in line with blog. Um, but again, kind of test it out and see how, you know, people visit it and things like that. When you talk about, um, testing it over time, I, I brought up for anybody who's listening to the audio, I, I just brought up hotjar.com. Um, the, the website that, or the tool that I've experimented with before is vwo.com. Have you heard of this mm-hmm. before, Julia? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and, and one of the things that I was impressed with, with VWO is that in, in addition to the user experience, the um, UX uh, observation, if you will, the analytics that you could gain from that, they also had A-B testing. So you could set up different versions of that user experience mm-hmm. in the navigation and compare it against each other. Does Hotjar do something similar? Not that I know of. Um, there may be like some premium feature. Um, okay. I kind of use like the basics with Hotjar. Okay. And does Hotjar track over time? Like if you make updates to your site, you can go back six months ago and see the results you were getting from that and then look at what you're getting now in comparison. Yeah. So you have to keep, you know, the, it installed on your website to be able to track like that. Okay. Um, 
I recommend using something like Hotjar, you know, kind of like right now, if you're auditing, you want to see how people are navigating your site. And then when you make changes, um, I don't really recommend leaving it up, you know, indefinitely, just because it can really impact your site speed. But again, test your site speed with Hotjar install, installed and okay. see if it like is significantly impacting it or, you know, if it's only impacting like slightly, then maybe it is worth kind of leaving up. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Well, I, let's tie this back around. And, and I, by the way, I appreciate your time. And I know that we could <laughs> dig into this for way longer, but just to kind of... <laughs> oh, yeah, I could keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, and by the way, for anybody who's still listening in or watching live, please don't hesitate to, to pop in with a question or two or five if you've got them, mm-hmm. um, because this is a great opportunity to, to get a little bit more information. I do have at least one more question for you, Julia, and that is, we've got a few practical next actions for our listeners and I'm sure many more that, that you could share if they reach out to you. But what I'm trying to figure out here then is once these next actions are begun, they begin to put these, these steps into place. How, how should they tie that back to SEO? How are they going to be able to see the results and know, okay, I made this change. This is better, or this is worse. I know that we have these tools you talked about, but can you kind of walk us through what that process looks like, how they would go about doing that? Yeah. So, Google Analytics is a really great great way to track this. Um, so you can see if the average session duration is longer, if the bounce rate has gone you know, down, um, if people are visiting more pages or spending more time on specific pages. So if you're really trying to you know, lead people to check out like a page that has your packages on it, um, check to see if that number has, of visits have gone up for that specific page. Um, and also you can track this by how many more leads you're getting. So if you've seen, you know, you've made some changes and you're starting to see um, more people are going to your contact page, um, more people are reaching out to you interested in your services, um, then, you know, that's a good indication of, you know, whatever you've changed is working because that is the end goal with both, you know, SEO and UX is to lead people to um, become leads and then potentially clients. I mean, we don't want them just looking at our pretty pictures. <laughs> we actually want nope. clients to make money. What? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I, I, again, I appreciate the very practical information. Um, and mm-hmm. honestly, I can't reiterate this enough for our listeners who maybe have never really dug into SEO or, um, or like, oh, that's just kind of a nerdy thing. And I'm not going to really bother it right now. I'm just going to focus on my word of mouth marketing or whatever it is. And I get that there are different business models out there that work really well. Honestly, my photography business, and I shot weddings for over 10 years, Julia, most of my business did come from referrals. And this was back before the day of you know social media being such a big deal too. But nonetheless, I know that there are different business models. At the end of the day, especially right now in 2021, we have so much competition, so many photographers that are playing in these various markets. And we need to figure out ways to stand out more effectively and user experience and, of course, how that relates to SEO is one of the ways that we can do that effectively. I appreciate you sharing some really super practical, helpful tips to move in that direction. And let me give you this opportunity just to kind of share a little bit more about the services that you offer so that if our listeners need that help, uh, and I'm sure many of them probably do, they can reach <laughs> out to you and, and get that help that they need. I'm going to pull up your website as you're talking, too. Yeah, so I also have lots of blog posts that go over everything that we've talked about. So I have... And you do call it a blog, by the way. I see that. I do. (laughs) (laughs) We'll click on the blog here. All right. Yeah. So um, I have one specifically for UX, uh, specifically for like, you know, Google Search Console, um, different SEO tools, things like that. So if you prefer kind of see things written out, um, definitely check that out there. Um, I can also, you know, if this is like way too much work, um, you know, definitely let me know. I'd be happy to work with you. Um, I offer SEO optimization services that focus both on SEO and UX. So that way you will rank higher in Google and then also be able to convert more people once they land on your site. And can you comment just briefly? And again, I I realize this is a loaded topic, but just very briefly on how Pinterest ties into Mm -hmm. SEO, because it does actually play a much bigger role than one might realize, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Pinterest is a search engine. Um, So people are going to go to Pinterest to search, you know, specifically for answers, for inspiration, things like that. So in the wedding industry, I'm sure you guys know that Pinterest is huge. (laughs) Um, So it ties in with SEO because, um, well, for several reasons, pins and boards and even profiles can actually rank on Google, like on the 
um, actual Google search results, um, also in Google images. Um, and also the more traffic that yeah. we're getting to your site, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog, right <laughs> I'm upset that I'm not paying any attention. <laughs> no um, the more traffic that you get to your site, um, the more it's going to help your SEO as well. So, um, you know, a website that only gets like 10 visits a month is probably not going to rank very well, but something that's getting, you know, hundreds or even thousands of visits is going to, you know, uh, go higher in the rankings in Google. So getting a lot of traffic from Pinterest, um, because Pinterest does tend to, you know, bring more traffic to like creative websites, uh, more, more so than like Instagram and Facebook and things sure. like that can help your SEO and can also help you reach people who are searching specifically for your services in Pinterest. Okay. Well, there you go. And again, a, a loaded topic. I, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. even until just recently that I even started categorizing Pinterest as a, as a search, what really just like a, a, a site, a search engine, like you said, mm-hmm. um, a, a means of searching for information. It's so easy to think about it just as like kind of leisurely browsing it, looking at pretty pictures. Um, but people mm-hmm. are actively using it as a search engine and there's opportunity to get uh, or, or to have more presence online by utilizing mm-hmm. that as a platform. So again, we'll, we'll link to your site, of course, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com, julianeeconsulting.com. And, uh, and then of course, your social media here, Julia Ray Consulting mm-hmm. on Instagram. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com as well. And I appreciate you making time to hang out, Julia. We, we made it through yeah. all the tech difficulties. We got a lot <laughs> of practical information out there. Thanks for doing this with me today. Yeah, thanks for geeking out over UX with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we can look for an opportunity to do it again. But for everybody listening in, make sure that you do send Julia a DM. Make sure you follow her, of course, but Mm -hmm. then send her a DM if you've got questions and maybe set up a time to chat with her, work out some more of the the nerdy details. Uh, It's going to benefit your site (laughs) significantly. Thanks again, Julia. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.